Welcome back to another episode of Living in Color podcast, where we discuss spirituality, career and education, finances, and relationships as Black women and how mental health affects them all. How you doing, sis? I'm doing well, as expected. What does that mean? <laughs> it's just been an eventful day thus far, that's all, but I'm hanging in there. Okay, so we're good. We're alive. We're amongst the living. We're good. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, we will jump right into our current events this week. Um, first up is the baby and all of the drama surrounding his comments at Rolling Loud. Talk to me. I mean, I don't know why we keep going through this. He says his intentions weren't to offend anybody. I don't know why you felt like, you know, the inspirational thing to do would be like, if you're not walking around with HIV AIDS, put your lights up. I mean, I, I feel like there was another inspiration that could have happened there. Like, I don't know. If you're still alive in this pandemic, put your lights up, you know? Um, and then... Although social media bleeped it out, I wanted to say if he was like, he said something about giving head in the parking lot. I, I don't know. Anywho, it ain't your business. It goes back to just mind your business. Like that had nothing to do with your show. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I listened to the baby, but I also confused the baby with little baby and, G baby and all them other kids. So I don't really know. Um, but I don't think your music has something to do with any of those topics. So um that's just one of them. I'm like, you could have just kept your mouth closed. And unfortunately for him, you know, we're learning that every action has a reaction, front and center because he has lost endorsements. He has been called out by several people. And so, you know, he's facing a lot of backlash. So unfortunately, I just think he he made a huge mistake in, on his part. And even though he has given an apology, it was after you also said like, forget y'all people because I'm only worried about the people who paid to see me and that ain't what I meant. So. Your apology was kind of like also not welcoming. Um, he just put his foot in his mouth. Yeah, I mean, you know, I agree. Um, I I am just, it just is interesting to me to kind of figure out like why these comments even came. What happened? Was this something? Was was there something that we don't know about that happened? And it just kind of came up because I'm assuming, and I could be completely wrong in my assumption, but I'm assuming you're in this atmosphere. You've probably been drinking. You've probably been smoking. High off life, maybe. I don't know. I'm just wondering. I think there was a comedian, uh, maybe Ryan Davis, somebody who was just like, I'm just wondering what happened to him for it to just come out like that on stage. It just, it seemed like almost like a, not a rant, but almost a rant. I don't know. It was just, it was something where it was like, I, something's out of place here. 
Um, but a very insensitive. Um, and it also just kind of spoke to just being uneducated in a in a way that was just hurtful. It's like, come on, we got to do better than that. Um, and then I also struggle with the times we're living in when where everybody gets canceled when they make a mistake, because I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've made a mistake that grave uh, or maybe I have, but it hadn't been caught on camera. And so, you know, I haven't been canceled because of it. And I think it goes back to like, there are repercussions for what you do. But I feel like if all of our lives were played out like that and we made a mistake, I'm just wondering what type of grace would we be wanting? So I'm always in my head thinking like, okay, what should those repercussions be? How can we, you know, maybe educate, maybe do better? I don't know. So I had a lot of thoughts about it, but at the end of the day, I felt like whoever was on his team should have riled him up right after that and been like, we got to put out a statement because this is coming, whatever, whatever, address it head on. I do feel like the way he addressed it initially was just way off the mark and it just kind of spiraled from there. So, you know, I, I, I don't listen to his music either. So, you know. I'm sure I've heard it, but it's not something I listen to. Um, but you know, I I'm not trying to crucify him to a cross either. So I just, you know, however he handles and comes back, hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. But it was very, it was very poor in taste. So we're gonna move on to our next current event, and that is Simone Biles and her decision to withdraw in the Olympics. Um, a lot of stuff about this. So just want to see or hear what you thought about when you saw this. Well, you know, first of all, we knew going into the Olympics, Simone going was just Black excellence at its best. And we knew we would get this remarkable show because she is this, she is the most amazing gymnast right now. And, you know, her taking a stand to say, you know, well, first of all, let me just back up because I don't want to miss any part of the foolishness that surrounded this. When I saw that they decided as a collective to not rate her because it would make the other comp uh, competitors feel like they need to try and excel to do better and that may harm them. I was just like, this is BS because that's that's the whole point, point of sports. It's a competitive thing. So in order for you to try to become the best, you want to go up against the best. So at that point, I was like, all right, here we go. And then when she decided to take a step back and be like, no, nah, I ain't doing this. I was wholeheartedly like, now this is the petty. I aspire to be not saying she was being petty, but, you know, I just felt like way to go because it goes back to the strong black woman narrative too. like, if you think about everything that she's been through, the sexual assault, the constant wear and tear on her body for, you know, practicing and perfecting her craft and all the negativity that comes with being a black gymnast and a black woman, not to mention here she is, this staple 
icon and people are tearing her down left and right. And then you get to the Olympics and they tell you, well, you know what? We just not going to rate you, even though we know you the most amazing. Like we feel like even though the world sees you as this amazing gymnast, we're going to diminish all of that by stripping away what we would consider is a rating. So kudos to her for being like, I don't need this. It's messing with me mentally. I am in great shape physically, by the way. <laughs> um, but it's just not doing anything anything for my headspace. And so I don't need it. I don't want it. And that's all I have to say about it. I did feel like, you know, this is one of those things where we as Black people have to always, like, explain ourselves. And she shouldn't have to. And, you know, she could have put out a statement as a public figure. And I definitely get that. But when she said I wasn't doing that, I, that would have been it. I don't think she owed anyone else anything. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we've had yet another amazing Black athlete have to step back away because of so many people having opinions and just being flat out disrespectful. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent to all of it. I just did all of it. I, I do feel like, you know, there, there shouldn't have to be an explanation for wanting to walk away whenever a person chooses to walk away. Um, and if that explanation, if you, if the person decides to give one, if that explanation doesn't meet somebody else's standard for why a person should walk away, you know, I, I just feel like that's the disservice that we've done um, across the board, especially in America, where you know, we live in silos and feel like we are the master of all things and we know all things. And so we should decide how somebody else should live their life. I just, I'm so proud of her for, for standing in her truth and for deciding that it doesn't diminish me as a person. It doesn't diminish my talent. It doesn't diminish my awesomeness. Um, and I'm still going to make this choice to say, no, nope, I'm going to choose me before a gold medal, because let's be honest, first of all, I got them. <laughs> it would have just been like another one. It, it, it ain't new to me. So, but I loved the, what she said in the press conference when she said, you know, she leaned in on her team and she was like, I mean, we have what we need on this team to do what we need to do too. It's not just about me in this moment. And so you know, to to not only withdraw, but to be there in support of her team and to cheer on her team. That to me, that shows more than than any anything else she could really do right now. It's kind of like, you know, I'm gonna show y'all better than I could tell you. So if it was a person, man. <laughs> um, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about mental health today anyway. So I'll save some of my other comments for them. But this last thing, it's probably going to be on my current event list because it continues to trend. Of course, the CDC has come out with new recommendations telling you guys to put y'all's mask back on, especially if you're indoors um, in the wake of the Delta variant and the cases going back up again. And of course, we've had Texas and Florida come in with their responses about what they're not going to do. Um, and, and of course, we live in a state 
that has low vaccination rate. And so I, you know, we're, I feel like we're in a time warp almost, um, but maybe not a good time warp. I feel like people haven't remembered 2020 like they should. It's, it's almost like it's a ghost and like we hadn't been here before. So just wondering what your thoughts were after seeing all that stuff uh, transpire. Cause all that happened within the last few days, actually. I'm just going to go to somebody's farm and find me a lamb because <laughs> I don't, I, I just, it leaves you speechless. Like I get everybody doesn't want to be vaccinated. And this is my issue. We go step on a soapbox real quick. Even if you don't want to be vaccinated, cool. Ain't nobody really making you be vaccinated. But the least, at minimum, wear the damn mask. That's it. Not not all day. You know, you could wear it all day. But even if you don't wear it all day, you know, when you indoors with other people, just put them on. And right. I understand everybody's like, oh, you got a time to go. But the Lord gave you a brain for a reason. You know, it's just like everything else. We we got to die, but we go to the doctor to make sure we're in tip top shape. Because, you know, if we can prevent leaving sooner than the date that the Lord calls us, who wouldn't do that? But then again, you have this situation and it's like, well, all we're saying at minimum is put on a mask mm -hmm. to help bring barriers so that things won't continue to keep cross pollinating across, uh, through different people and spreading the virus. Of course, you know, do your own research, make your own decision about your vaccination, but at minimum, put on a mask. Right. Right. And then these two fools just <laughs> I have never just been, I guess, aware of how stupid some people in politics can be. Like, I've always known how politics work. But just to see the just foolishness, like we banning you from making mass mandatory. So y'all just go put people in jail if they decide to be like, well, we go make this a rule for our people. And then you want to kind of backtrack and then be like, but we encourage you to wear masks in areas where it's a highly contagious area, whatever verbiage they're using. Y'all encourage them to wear masks in 2020. And we've been at, we were at home all year. Mm -hmm. Like, so at what point are you going to say, even though adults should be able to follow simple instructions, they're not. And so y'all want to get back to what y'all call normal. When, when are you going to start thinking? Right. When are you going to start being like, okay, this ain't working. You know, they, they have a saying, you keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. It's called... So, you know, I don't expect much more out of these men. I just don't, especially Florida. I just feel like at any given point, he just go push them on in the Gulf and it ain't even going to exist no more. But 
Um, not before November, Lord. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not before November, because we have an assignment for November. So, um, <laughs> just let me complete. Just let me complete it. <laughs> the commentary. All right. So, Florida has to stay at least until 2022. Um, but yeah, I just think it, it continues to show us that this world is so selfish and people only think about what benefits themselves. I do not think people in leadership should continue being those that do not know how to lead. It is like they just went on the side of the road and was like, hey, if you go follow our agenda, we can, I mean, we've seen it in Scandal for those who watch Scandal. Like you can take the most unqualified individual, put some things in place, Olivia Pope style, and now they're your new candidate. Mm -hmm. But that needs to stop because it is affecting the entire nation. And at some point, y'all got to want better. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it kind of goes back to how the whole pandemic was made a political issue and it never should have been. So it got taken out of context early on because people were trying to set it up to look a certain way so that they could look like saviors and heroes and you know, I, you know, I'm going to do this and we're going to do this and this is going to save the people and all this other stuff. And so misinformation got out there way before the right information got out there. And so when you are following misinformation and you pattern your behaviors behind that information, then you have the consequence of having to redirect or, or do something different with people's behaviors. That's kind of health behavior in a nutshell. It's like, what do we need to do to make right. to change these behaviors? Problem is the, the, the political nature of the pandemic is continuing. It's continuing this time, not from the White House, because at first we had it from the White House, which was the, you know, the top. And that was mm -hmm. the issue. The, the, it, from the China virus to whatever else, our former person, I don't even call him president, former yeah, person, up in there saying so you had to you had to contend with that but now you have his minions which are in these states i.e florida i.e texas doing some of the same just really kind of doing the same thing is it's unprecedented and it's like millions of lives are at risk here and maybe now because we have a vaccine you know Maybe we're not looking at, oh, it probably won't be as deadly as what it was in 2020. And you maybe you could might be right. But at the same time, it doesn't it, it still speaks to how we don't value people as people. It is it's so it's it's so much. And I'm not even going to get on my soapbox about it because I'll be here all day. But I just, I'm just like, we have to do better. And that starts with, because we have an election coming up here in Birmingham, that starts with doing what you need to do locally for us as people. If you're seeing stuff happening in your city, in your state that you don't agree with, part of the solution is getting out and voting for your local leaders. Like, you know, if you don't like it, do something about it. That's, you have more 
voice in that type of election than you have in the national. So <laughs> choose wisely, as Amen. J. Cole says. All right. Okay. That's my sermon for this Sunday. All right. Moving on to naturally amazing, we have Miss Jayla Jackson and Amani Stanton. Jayla is 16, Imani is 17, and they are the winners of the international debate competition at Harvard University, and they are the first African-American female duo to do so. Um, each summer, so just to give you guys a little bit of background, each summer, the Harvard Debate Council, which is one of the oldest campus organizations at Harvard, they host a summer residential program for hundreds of gifted youth, youth um, from over like 15 countries around the world. And after they do this whole workshop or this program, then they have this program-wide debate. So Jayla and, and Imani are from Atlanta and they participated in this debate, debate. And first of all, they were undefeated going into debate into the debate and then they emerged undefeated. So I just wanted to shout them out because I love black excellence, but to see it so young and to see it happening on one of the world's most, you know, coveted schools, I just thought it was amazing to see that and to see them doing their thing. So congratulations. Absolutely. And I, I also want to just acknowledge the fact that our children are being in places that aren't normally just highlighted as one of those things to do as a student. You know, it's always about sports and, um, you know, popularity, but like I didn't even know. I don't even know. I'm sure I, my high school and middle school did have a debate team, but I didn't know nothing about it. And I probably would have been great at it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start thinking about your strengths and weaknesses and it's like, I probably would have been great at that. So I love the fact that not only they went and kicked ass, but also that they are just changing the narrative as we continue to move forward in this world that tends to like to put us in a box and showing children their age and adults and anybody else that's paying attention that like we run this shit too. Don't get mm -hmm. it twisted. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> and I, I'm grateful that we have this segment because I think it allows us the opportunity to see beyond some of the other stuff that goes on that's kind of on the big screen and you see it, you can't help but to see it. But, you know, finding stories like this and being reminded that we out here and we're doing it, you know. So I agree. Hats yeah. off. Kudos to you guys. Jumping into our hot topic for this week. So as y'all know, we have been in what we have deemed our summer sex series. Um, I decided to take a break from that this week because there's been a whole lot of, you know, talk and discussion about mental health and what people think about mental health. And part of the reason why our podcast even exists is to be able to have conversations surrounding mental health in general. Um, and so I wanted to talk about or discuss how we prioritize our mental health 
as much, if not more than our physical health. Um, and just doing like a brief definition of mental health for the people. Cause I feel like there's so many ways it can be defined. I'm going to give a brief definition and then you and I are going to talk about how we define it, um, and have a whole lot of other conversation, but mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps us determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make our choices. So over the past several months, we've seen an increase in media coverage about athletes and stars wanting to step away from their craft, step away from the limelight, um, and just get away from the public to tend to their mental health. And there's been both praise and criticism for it. So I wanted us to just have a candid conversation and the first question that I'm gonna, I'm going to throw out there is, mental health is huge, just like physical health is huge, um, and so it's defined in a lot of ways. But I want to know, particularly as a mental health professional, how do you define mental health? Um, so I'm not going to give this like scholarly definition. Because I think as I become more experienced in this field and have more experiences in life, that the definition itself will continue to change. And it reminds me of what I look at now when I think about mental health. So the first thing is, I'll say it, it is not a one size fits all. Um, everyone's mental health will look different. It will feel different. Um, and, you know, with that phrase in mind, it kind of helps you look at the other aspects of it. So if it's not one size fits all, then what does that mean? Usually when we hear that phrase being the other way, it means everybody can fit under one umbrella. You can all fit this one hat. You can all fit this one shirt, whatever it is. But because this is so unique, mental health can be a lot of different things. And so it used to be just a general term that I considered as long as it dealt with your thoughts and um, your feelings that that's where it ended at. And really, it's it's more than that. So it's the the ways that you deal with those things that you think and feel. It's the the tools that you may or may not have or are aware of. It's the education that goes into it to identify that you felt this way or you you've had these things come into your head for some time now, but you can never you never knew what it meant or what it implied, and so. Um, gaining awareness and being just open to explore this world that for so long, so many have put into like this Pandora's box of negativity mm -hmm. and allowing yourself to not only accept who you are, but also not being ashamed to express what you need to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, so when I think about mental health, I think about in general, like, you know, your well being, your well being, your general state of mind. That to me is mental health. 
Um, and it's very broad. I get that. But I think we have to think about mental health broadly because it's been for such a long time kind of whittled down to people who may be experiencing mental disorders. It used to be mental illness. It used to be crazy. It used to be all these things. Um, I know now we we look at it as like a mental disorder. And so if you it's it's almost like mental health means something's wrong with you. Right. Instead of it just being how how are you? Like if a person is asking you how you are, they're tending to your mental health. Primarily they should be, but um, we live in a day and time where how are you is just, you know, a, a sentence to fill a text line. You know, it's not necessarily always somebody really being concerned about how you are. Um, and so I think one of the things when I think about a definition, I don't want I'm like you. I feel like we could get into like a scholarly like let's, you know, make this real grand statement. So it sounds good. But at the end of the day, how are you? You know, what's your general state of well-being in this day and time? You know, are you excellent? Are you good? Are you barely making it? Are you barely hanging on? Are you wanting to die? Do you feel like you just want to run out in the traffic? Do you need to scream? Is it, I feel like I want to shrink away and just, you know, there's so many different ways to define how you're feeling mentally. And I think because we have, you know, made this huge difference between physical health and mental health, and it's been like that since the beginning of almost the beginning of time. I can't say that with certainty because I don't know what they were doing back there. But even in the Bible days, even <laughs> in the Bible days, you know, people who had seizures were, you know, it was just a demon that was possessing them. And so you have now where people who have seizures, it's still almost looked at that way. And then now we know that seizures, you can either have it from a biological standpoint where there's actually a misfire in the brain that's causing them, or it could be a psychological issue that's causing some things to happen and it throws you into a seizure-like event. Those people are still seen as crazy because it's like you can control it. And it's like we've done everybody a disservice by putting everybody's physical health on doctors and putting our mental health on ourselves. That's not OK, um, because our physical health is on us, too. If you if you want to talk about it, like eat well, be well, you know. Um, but I just think it's I, I just think we have. I think you and I and a lot of other people in this field have a tremendous task in our lifetime and the people who come after us and the people come, who come after them to continue to normalize that mental health is just like any other part of our lives. We have to tend to it and it's okay. Right. Um, and it's okay not to have to explain it either. There you go. Um, and so you and I both have been in a more professional setting where we've counseled with a myriad of people. Um, and, and we've done that in terms of like our schooling and education, but then also in our jobs, I feel like we've had the opportunity to meet people of all different walks of life and have to tend quote unquote to their mental health. And so I wanted to just throw this question out and ask you, what has it been like for you to address the myriad of mental health um, problems or issues 
that have come up with the people that you're engaged with on a day-to-day basis. And that can be from either your role in, you know, in the counseling field or just your role in everyday life, how you've worked, current job, previous job, all of it combined. Um, I think, so I'll say this and I hate to, no, I don't. I was going to say, I hate to put it on race, but I don't. So I'm going to frame my answer in this way. To see people of color, some of us now welcome the help of what, you know, tending to our mental health looks like has been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It has also been one of the, it feels like, you know how when you in you watch scary movies and you know something's gonna happen because it's mm-hmm. a scary movie. Mm-hmm. That's how you kind of look at mental health with people of color. So, for example, in downtown Birmingham, all the time we see this one guy. Me and Amber talk about him constantly. Now, bro, give us a show, and it's most of the time a good laugh for us. However. I also know that when he gets around certain people who do not look like us, who do not have the education that we do, who may not even want to be open minded, he becomes a threat. Mm -hmm. And so he needs help. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he's not getting the help because, like Amber has said, mental health and physical health have been separated for so long, there isn't enough funding in mental health for everyone to get the assistance they need. So Mm -hmm. it's very sad to watch individuals like him go throughout life because who knows what he could be if he had the right prescription or the right tools to help him do whatever he needs to do as far as bringing his mental health to a centering state so he can properly function. Right. So in one regard, in that aspect, it's very sad, but it has also been enlightening. And from a person who has worked with white individuals um, or what we consider the majority race, it is also exhausting. And... I don't want to make it seem like white people's problems or people who are considered a majority, their problems aren't problems, but it is exhausting for a person of color in this field to have to listen to people who do things like weaponized mental health, like we talked about with the lady in Victoria's Secret. We don't know if she had a mental issue or not, but what we do know is she knew if she played these key elements in that moment, Mm -hmm. that she would no longer be seen as the threat, but the victim. Right. So, um, you know, having to navigate the waters as a person of color in this field is one that I have felt like at times I've been like, you know what? I can't do this. I cannot do. I know an internship when I would have to listen for three and four hours to some people just, you know, my my 
my dad died and left us all of this money and me and my me and my siblings are fighting and you know we don't know what to do with the money Johnny wants to go blow it we know mom can't stay in the house because we have this huge estate you know that becomes very just monotonous in the sense of but then i have this other client over here who is physically afraid to watch the television because every time they see police brutality, they remember a family member being shot with a shotgun by white people. You know, those are two different extremes, but that is the, the realness of this mm -hmm. field. And so it's, it's hard to have a balance. Um, you have to really understand what compassion and empathy means because we're humans too. So we, I'm not going to be like, I don't sit up here and have these thoughts like by whatever, this is not even something that you should be stressed about. But again, as mental health um, professionals, we have to understand that everybody's story isn't the same. And because of that, this is very, your story is also very real for you. So I need to, one, still be attentive to what you're saying and two, show you the empathy, although I know that it is a very hard thing to do in that moment because you still need whatever tools it is that I have, whatever knowledge it is that I have to help you get to this next step. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. I think we have to, I think, you know, being in this field, we have to have real conversations of what it's like to be in it. Um, it's not all kicks and giggles. And, you know, of course, most people are like, I don't know how you do it. I think I'm always like, I don't either. Mm, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I often think about how, you know, psychologists and therapists and counselors and psychiatrists, everything has like played out in the media on movies or whatever the case is. And I do think that the way it's being played on some shows now is more realistic, but because of how it's been played in the past, I think that um, a lot of people assume that we have the responsibility of fixing a person um, figuring out what it is that is necessary to fix a person and then do all we can to fix them. And then once they're fixed, they're just fixed. And, you know, again, kind of doing this parallel between physical health and mental health. You know, if we go to the doctor and something is wrong, the doctor can give you medication. They'll give you their advice or whatever the case may be, but there's still a part of it that's your responsibility. So if it's high blood pressure and you're taking medication for whatever, you know, or whatever the case may be, but it's still going to be on you to figure out how my diet can change, how, how I can get better rest, how, you know, maybe I can incorporate a little activity so that I'm not sedentary all day. Um, and so it's the same in the mental health field. Like it's not on us as professionals to figure it out for a person. Um, oftentimes we're coming in not knowing anything, which is great. Uh, it puts us in the best position to partner with that person and help them see something maybe a little different than what they've been able to see. Because maybe they've been stuck on, on a certain viewpoint or certain perspective and they haven't been able to see it from some other perspective. So now you have 
a person who doesn't have, you know, we don't know what's going on. This is just what we're hearing. And I'm just speaking back to you what you're telling me. And then we get into the, the place of like partnering with them, whether it's an individual, a couple, a family, however that unit looks, partnering with them to figure out, okay, what steps do we take to get us from point A to point B? We know what point A has been. Now we want to get to point B and how can we do that? And so I know for me, taxing, because it was one point in my life where I was nonstop doing psychiatric interviews in a study that I was involved in, and I was counseling in a community counseling clinic, which it's great because, it, you know, usually you'll see all types of things come through the door, but taxing because it's so weighty, it's so weighty. And being new, newer in the field, you and I are learning how we have to take off that weight. Like it's not up to me to figure all this stuff out. Rome wasn't built in the day and you're not about to build Rome anyway for this person. <laughs> you one voice. But I think about, you know, that time in my life where I was doing all of that at the same time and how it was so vast. So like you could have a person coming in because they were just stressed out with life. A lot of transition happening, not really knowing like what tomorrow's going to look like, not really being able to find their footing. And so you're walking them through that. Maybe you have another person that comes in who had battled with addiction before, you know, they were clean, but life is hit. And now we contemplating some things. So you have to tap into something different. You have another couple who comes in and they just getting ready to get married. And they're like, we just want to do some premarital stuff so that we can be good when we get married. That's a whole different thing, a whole different bag you have to tap into. And then you get to, you know, for me, what I think is one of the biggest things, a person comes in in a crisis of faith where God is supposed to have done something by now and it's on it's his responsibility to do it and i don't have any responsibility so i don't know what's going on and have to walk through that and so i think it's so important that you know we get an opportunity to say here on this podcast that mental health is broad it's really big and so don't let it be something that you feel like oh my issues aren't big enough or my issues are too small or my issue, whatever your issue may be, if it's affecting your well-being, it's part of your mental health and there are people that are out there to help you walk through it. But that brings me to a question that continues to be a, a point of study. And that is the fact that people don't seek help because stigma is still around. And so from your perspective, I just wanted to know what stigmas continue to perpetuate the barriers of mental health that you have seen? Like, what have you seen that continues to contribute to these barriers? Um, so it, you know, labeling is one, of course, um, because no one wants to be deemed quote unquote crazy. Uh, the other thing is lack of representation. So, speaking from a personal perspective, especially here in the South, but what I'm also learning about other areas too, is there's just not enough of people who look like me and Amber in this field. And 
it's very unfortunate because we have so many people seeking counseling right now. Um, and there is nothing wrong with someone who does not look like you do not, please don't take that and just run with it. Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is in the times that we live in, it is very hard to explain as a black person to what we consider a white colleague, what it is like. They, it's just, you won't understand. I mean, that's just as simple as I can put it. And yes, we have allies who want to work with us hand in hand. But at the end of the day, when they walk out the door, they are still a white person who is not considered a threat. And, you know, um, it's it's just a very unfortunate thing. So one would be the labeling, two would be the lack of access to people of color. But then I also want to say lack of access to quality like healthcare that covers it. So for anybody who has not sought out mental health services, um, most insurances, maybe I know the big people do um, cover it to some extent. You still will have a copay and maybe anywhere from 15 to 50 dollars. Who knows? But if you if your insurance doesn't cover it or you have to pay out of pocket, it can go anywhere from 50 to 200 dollars a session. Mm hmm. And most people just don't have that to spend because the thing about therapy is in the beginning, if it is your first time going, you will need to go more than once a month or twice a month. Hell, you might need to go more than once or twice a week, depending on what it is you're dealing with. But right. you definitely cannot just do a two a month thing. Right. And so you know, again, not having that funding, not having that respect, because I think that's another part of it when it comes to the funding. People just don't respect the field enough to feel like this needs to be put on the same platform as, a, you know, the same pedestal as physical health. And therefore, we don't reap as many resources as we should. Yeah. Um and the last thing I will say, and it's really not a stigma thing, but more so a legislation thing, is our field has growing to do. Um, it is still a very new field to be in. And so there are things that need to take place in order for us to become better. For example, um, reciprocity across states. So for anybody who is aware of what that means, it basically means that if Emma and I get licensed here in Alabama, but we move to New York or California, our license aren't good there. We can't just apply for a new license. We may or may not have to do more um, what they consider education and training. We may have to sit for another certification test, even though we've already done all that we needed to do in our own state to show that we are more than capable of doing the work. And so all of that um, really, to me, is kind of the stigmas that still, um, I don't want to say hunt, but our issues in our field, because the reciprocity thing kind of feeds into the lack of representation and resources. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you aren't, if this field doesn't look appealing 
nobody is going to want to do it. The reason why people go into healthcare is because, you know, you go get paid well. Now, now post pandemic, you know, you go get work like a dog, but <laughs> that was pre pandemic too, but you know, you go get paid well at minimum. Right. Um, and so, you know, there lies that thing like, okay, I can make it work, but we just don't have that in our field yet. And so it makes it very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. All of it, all of it. I think a couple that I will add um, to the ones that have already been spoken to, I don't think the best job is being done in the education of mental health and even in the production of therapists and counselors. I, I feel like we're still lacking and we're still using very old, outdated, antiquated, you know, frameworks and, and you know, things that have contributed to the field, yes, but um, they're not up to speed with what we need now. Right. And so I, I feel like we do uh, a disservice to the, the generations such as you and I and other people who are going through these programs and learning something. And then we get into these rooms and are, are met with reality. And we're like, I'm not equipped to be able to address this issue because I was never taught how to address this issue. So then it's up to you and I to do legwork on our own to figure out, okay, what do, what do I need to look up? How do I need to find something that's going to help me help this person? Um, when in fact, if we had uh, better... And I'm not saying all system. There could be some programs out there that are, you know, excelling in this area and they're doing great. But if you have even one who's producing people in the world who's going to tend to a person's mental health and they are not prepared, then we're not doing what we should be doing for the field. And so I feel like our education, what we're learning has to come up to speed with what's actually happening. Um, I'm not saying we lose what has happened, I'm saying we need to add to it and broaden it to the point of where it's for all people and not just for our white middle class. Put some um, seasoning in it. Some Lowry's. <laughs> um, one of the other things, and I'm going to say this, particularly for the African-American community, um, is our there are cultural and spiritual things in our community that are ingrained in us that really um, go against us being able to just seek help in general. Um, and then when you tag mental health to it, it's just, it just gets worse. Uh, and so I think we have to do a better job as parents, as, you know, sisters and brothers, as churches, as uh, community centers of, bringing the education to our community in a way where we can sit down and say, I know grandmama and granddaddy may have done it like this, but if we want to see something different in our lifetime, we might have to change the way that we look at this and the way we, um, you know, we seek help or we decide to tend to our mental health. I, you know, and it's not to say that we can't have these, you know, cultural things that are important to us that, you know, mean something, I think we just need to expound on them. And so, if, for example, I think it's important to pray. I do. I, I don't think I can get along without prayer. 
But at the same time, it's also important for me to go see somebody if I'm dealing with something as well. It's it's not okay for me to just say God is going to handle it when God has placed people in our lives or put people in positions in the world to be able to help us walk through, you know, whether it's our physical health or mental health and just kind of stay in that space of, well, he's going to work it out. He has. He, in fact, he has worked it out. Um, and if he's providing a way for us to get that help, then I hope that we choose to utilize the resource because let's be honest that we don't have enough resources, but even for the ones of us who can access the resources, don't necessarily use them either. Um, those of us who are educated still aren't using them either. So I, I think we still have to think about like how certain things that have been ingrained in us are still, you know, perpetuating the barrier enough where we're not seeking the help and then figure out how we can change that. And I think that just kind of feeds us into our last question and kind of reflection is just how do we prioritize our mental health? I'm going to start with the awareness piece. I think that's the biggest thing that we lack in addition to education, like you said, and not just for the people who work in the field, but the communities that are unaware of how important it is to be mindful <laughs> of what your mental health state is. We all have a baseline. So, um, you know, if we can't even identify what our baseline is, then when life happens, how do we know when we've gotten back to a point of being just okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, if I could, and I'm not going to say I can't because I tend to have grand ideas, but I think one of the things that you spoke to was kind of being community focused rather than just individualized. If we can step into communities and maybe, you know, share the information that we have. And don't get me wrong, it's still going to take a lot because I can't take Alice to the projects. Your girl gonna be a little bit hesitant herself to talk about what mental health looks like. But the people in the community may be more willing to listen to me than Alice because I look like them. Now, that doesn't mean that they aren't going to have their own biases against me because I'm somebody trying to tell them what their life is like and I hand walk the day in their shoes. Mm -hmm. But those are the conversations that we need to start having, mm -hmm. because once those walls are broken down, then you can start identifying the roots of the problem that continue to grow the weeds in the community that continues to fuel the the crime the you know the the fights the anger the the depression that looks like i'm just smoking and drinking every day um and once that start ha starts to happen i think we can see the change that we want because now people are aware that you know, waking up every day and being like, I'm going to go to this job. But as soon as you get home, you got to drink two or three beers every day. 
ain't really the best way of coping. Right. You know, um, yes, marijuana is this wonderful drug that is being legalized across the country. But the truth of the matter is, we know what it does to you when you smoke it or eat it. And the the reality of it is, is that it is a break to get away. You don't have to think about anything because you're high as a kite. Right. Right. <laughs> but that's not a coping mechanism that you need to use every day right. in order to get through something because you don't want to really think about what the problem is. Right. Or you're trying to forget something that has happened. So that's the other part. Yeah. Um, that I think I could have wrapped into stigma too. Being very Telling our stories, that was the best advice Michelle Obama could have given any of us. Telling our stories so people can feel like you are not alone in this. Mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation with someone the other day about what it's like to bring, be a Black mom pregnant with a Black boy and knowing that you have to become the Black mother of a Black son. Mm -hmm. Your child is in your womb and you are already stressed about what life will be like as a black mother of a black son. Yeah. You know, but nobody talks about it. Or if they do, nobody shares the story. They don't share the fear. But I guarantee you, if I polled 50 moms who have black sons or who are pregnant, everybody would be like, yeah, I had the same fear, especially yeah. in the world we live in now. So yeah. making it, sharing our stories, doing the awareness, doing the mm -hmm. education would probably be the top three for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with it all. I think, you know, we have to uh, think about how our environment does play a factor in our mental health and, um, Unfortunately, a lot of us, just because of the color of our skin, have dealt with trauma that um, is, you know, it, go, it goes unaddressed. And that's a whole nother place of stigma when we start using the word trauma, because, you know, trauma is supposed to look and sound a certain way as well. Absolutely. And if it, if it doesn't, then that's not really trauma. Um, and, and like you said, that's, that's basically what's happening with mothers who have black sons in the room. That's, that's trauma because you're continuing, you're continuously going through all the ifs, ands, or buts of life that have happened to maybe other people, maybe in your own family, things that you know are very likely or could, you know, it's the coulds mm -hmm. and the shoulds of life. And, you know, some of those things, other people who don't look like the, us have to deal with. And so it's not a place of understanding for they don't have to. And I'm not saying they don't have their own traumas either. So I want to go on record saying not saying black people are the only people that have trauma. No, not not saying that at all. What I am saying is there's a different type of trauma that African-American people have to deal with that they have to deal with before they even take their first breath in this world. And it, it's it's continuous. It's day in and day out. Um, and I think we as a community have to be willing to address that ourselves. We can't wait on everybody else to address it for us. And we can't wait on, you know, the next Martin Luther King to come and rile the troops. Be your own Martin Luther King where you are. 
um, be willing to go the extra distance or spend the extra amount of time. Um, I think community engagement is very important. And I think even for, for somebody like myself, one of the things that I do even now is we have people that are already in the community. We talk to them and send them back to their own community because like you said, they might be willing to hear from me because I look like them, but I don't have the same story as they have because I haven't gone through the same, uh, you know, our environments are different. Our education might be different. Resources might be different. So many things that might be different. And so you're looking at me and you're already closed off because you all know what I'm going through. And you're right. I might not. But if you get people from that community who might know better than you know what you're going through, and, and send them out into their own community, that's how we start seeing change. And so I think when we talk about prioritizing our mental health, I think individually it starts with us being okay with stepping away, being okay with us, you know, if, if I have a sick day because I'm physically sick, I can have a sick day because I'm sad, you know, whatever the case may be. And it doesn't, I don't have to explain that to you. I don't have to tell you what I'm sad about. I don't have to make it sound so bad that you'll sympathize with me and be like, yeah, you probably need a day. No, I like, Sue, if your dog died and that made you sad and you just can't get with life today. Okay. That's your prerogative. You know, for me, if it's, you know, all the anniversaries of everybody who's ever died in my life keep coming back to back to back and it's weighing on me and I can't seem to get my head in the right space, then it's okay for me to decide I'm not here today. Like I just need some time. Whatever that looks like for you, normalize it for yourself first. And then when you're out in the world, normalize it for other people. Like we have, we have this thing where we get an opportunity to press reset every single day that the Lord gives us. God, I'm bringing you right on into this conversation. Hallelujah. Um, if you are alive and you're breathing, then you have the opportunity to prioritize your well-being. And like I said at the beginning, for me, mental health is just your general well-being. So prioritize it. You can't be for everybody else what you're not willing to be for yourself. My grandmama put that in me years ago and it's still with me. And so even now, as I'm reflecting on this whole conversation, I'm just going to put that out into the world. Like, take care of you because you can't be anything for anybody else if you're not okay for you. Um, what's your affirmation this week, sis? Oh, geez. Um, you know, it's just something I told myself because last month, I'm going to be honest, I was supposed to affirm myself every day and I did not. Um, but I, every month I choose to kind of set some goals and then kind of go week by week. But I was just having some quiet time this morning. And even though I, everything hasn't been perfect, I've still commit. I've woke up every day and committed to doing something that I was supposed to do. And so I just told myself, like, I am proud of you. And Good. sometimes I don't hear that at all. Sometimes I don't hear it enough. Um, so I'm saying to join me in telling yourself that you are proud of yourself. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if we are our own biggest cheerleaders, the rest are just bonuses. That's real good. 
That's real good. I'll have to put that into practice because I definitely don't do that for sure. <laughs> I know I don't. But um, I will say this week for me, I and not just this week in general, but just learning to have the same amount of compassion for emotional pain that I have for physical pain um, and not separate the two so that I feel like a weakling or just less than if emotionally I'm not okay, but physically I'm okay. So kind of going back to that whole, you know, Simone's like, I'm good physically. I probably am in the best shape that I've been in, but I'm not, I'm not there emotionally. Um, Cause I feel like if we fail to, if we continue to fail to address um, mental health in general, it just leaves people suffering, myself included. And I have said time and time again, I'm tired of suffering in silence. Like, and it's not about just talking to other people. It's about just saying like, you know, Amber, you're not feeling like yourself and that's okay. Like, what do we need to do? How do we need to bounce back? What is it that you might need from somebody else? What is it that you need from yourself? Um, And so just kind of honoring myself emotionally as much as I honor myself physically is what I am doing right now and being intentional about all this month. We're in a new month. Hey, August. So we hope that you guys got an opportunity to join in with us and hopefully, you know, heard something that you that just touches you. Or maybe it's going to touch somebody else that you've been connected to. Share it with them. But it's been a pleasure as always. We're going to sign off. Have a great week, everybody.